But um, Will did ask me um, this morning, I got it around lunch, if I could teach for him. And immediately I, I just knew what I was going to teach. And uh, you guys, many of you probably know a lot of the context of the book of Philippians. Paul is writing from a jail cell in Rome. He is chained to Roman guards, and he is writing to the Philippians who he he visited on his uh, a missionary journey with Silas. Um, the way Paul begins the letter, customary, right? The and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna teach every verse because I I do want to focus a lot in in chapter four, and when we get there, uh, you'll understand why. But he he begins his his letter the way he customarily does, like with that customary greeting, that grace and peace, right? And, um, and what's cool is in three verses three and four it says, "I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requ- request for you with all joy, you all with joy, right?" and Considering his circumstances and the first time he came to Philippi, if you guys remember in Acts chapter 16, he's preaching the gospel and his desire is to go into Asia. And it says that the the Spirit forbid him. However that works, I I don't know exactly. Um, But we know that somehow the Holy Spirit did not allow him to go and to preach the gospel into Asia. He makes his way through... uh, um, my Asia, he tried to go into Bithynia and preach, and the Spirit again didn't allow that. Uh, he gets on a boat. He heads to Neapolis, um, to Macedonia. What happens in Troas uh, before that is he has a vision of a man pleading with Paul to come to Macedonia, right? And so he gets on the boat, and he heads to Macedonia, and... Um, passing through uh, Neapolis, making his way to Philippi in Macedonia, he, he never ends up meeting the man, right, that, that pleaded with him in his vision. So Paul's whole desire is to be in Asia. He's now in Philippi, believing it's the will of the Lord, but he doesn't meet the man who he sees in his vision, at least that we're aware of. But as you guys pro- you might recall, he, he meets Lydia. He goes down by the river, uh, on the Sabbath, and there were women there gathered praying on the Sabbath. And it says that the Lord had prepared Lydia's heart to receive Paul's words concerning Jesus, and that she did. And um, she she asked that he would come to his house and that she, she he would baptize everybody. And then he pleads, she pleads with him uh, to stay. It says if if you find me faithful of the Lord um, for the Lord's service, like please stay with me. And he does. He and Silas and Luke. And so, um, but from that point, right, there's these, what seem to be these little letdowns, because Luke is explaining to us what Paul's desire is. Things aren't exactly going the way Paul wants them to. And then as he's being pursued in a prayer meeting, um, a demon-possessed girl comes, and they start following. It says for days that she's following them, just announcing to everyone who they are the work that they're doing, and, and it says Paul gets just all bent out of shape about it. And in annoyance, he rebukes the girl, sends the, sends the demon out, which ends up getting them in trouble with the magistrate. They get bra- dragged in front of the officials. Um, they're preaching foreign gods. And uh, uh, Paul, that you know, that's that's the charge. And, of course, he's gotten rid of their way of making money. 
And so they're beaten with rods and they're thrown in jail. So uh, Paul's experience in Philippi wasn't the best experience, right? But he, he says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy. That's the way he looks at it. And you guys probably, I, I'm saying probably, and the reason I say that, and I have to tell you this, is a couple of weeks ago I'm upstairs with um, junior and senior high, and uh, I'm just asked last minute to teach the kids. And I didn't have much, but I figured we'd play a trivia game. I'm playing trivia with these kids, and it is blowing my mind the knowledge that they have. So excuse me if I keep saying probably know what I'm talking about. I do, I do believe it's because of our pastor and, and the, uh, the teaching that he delivers. But um, when, uh, when Paul and Silas are in jail, they're singing praises to the Lord, right? And it says that there's a great earthquake. All the doors are open. The chains fall off. And the, the jailkeeper goes to fall on his sword. But, you know, he says, no, we're still here. Don't, don't do that. He comes, he trembles, he falls down before him. What, what must I do to be saved? Right? Paul preaches him the gospel. He goes to their house. Everyone, his whole household gets saved. Um, so what we find in Paul is that the marvel of his, of his Christian walk is that he's so incredibly focused on the well-being of other people regardless of his circumstances. Right, he he finds he always finds the good in the midst of a bad circumstance, and he rejoices. He has joy over um, his memories of the Philippian Christians, uh, of his memories being there. Although, I mean, even when when they're released from jail, they said when they tell him just to be gone, to go on their way, Paul says, "No, make him come here and get me. We're Roman citizens, right?" and um, they beat us openly, like they have to answer for this. And, of course, they're all scared because they broke the law. But um, continuing in verse 6, it says, He's confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I skip verse 5. He makes makes prayer um, with joy, for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's he's just he's thankful for what the Philippian Christians mean to him. Um, in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And and what he means by this, you guys, I'm I'm sure you can see the imagery in it. Physically, his chains are in Rome, but he's being chained to these these guards. And in his ministry, he's he's actually leading these men to the Lord. In his signing off, he writes, you know, of some of um the house of, I'm going to re- read it, it's all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household, right? Some of the palace guards are actually coming to Christ as Paul is chained to him. There is a way that God is moving. And of course we think like, yeah, if if I was Paul or if Paul was in my circumstance, I'd love to see God moving in that way. But we, we see that through history. We see certain things like this happening in solitude. And he's not completely alone. But there are things, especially when 
the Holy Spirit gets gets a hold of the heart of a child of God. Um, Martin Luther, under house arrest for I think it was the last 15 years of his life in Germany, he he translates uh, he translates the scripture into German so that the common people can have the scripture. Right? It starts the Reformation. John Bunyan he writes the classic Christian novel that everybody loves, The Pilgrim's Progress. It's touched so many people, and he was uh, he was incarcerated when that happened. Paul writes four of his letters. Right? He's he's in prison. The Lord is doing things. Uh, it's it's really no surprise. We think of people like Paul, and we think, no wonder people were being changed because Paul was so bold. And he even moves on, and he says, it's because of these chains and because of what the bro- other brethren have witnessed through me that they have become bold. He moves in through this chapter to say that some are, are preaching the gospel of goodwill, and some are doing it out of selfish ambition and envy. They, they desire to... Uh, he people toward them. But he said, the word that is going forth is actually a true word and I rejoice for that, right? And the the work that is being done is simply because the word of God is being honored. That's the reason he's rejoicing. That's the reason why, even as Paul is a special character, right? He's a, he's a special breed. He's We think of him as the greatest Christian example in the New Testament, especially of the greatest um, example of a disciple of Jesus living the Christian life, being selfless, lay, laying down his life, his will for the well-being of others, and um, you know, it's it's something that. And my my point I'm trying to make is that it's something. The point I'm going to make is something that God is still He still wants to do because when we think of the way Paul ministers, we think of God moving powerfully, right? We think if I could witness God moving like that in my work environment, it would be totally different. But in verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's saying, I know that if I continue living, I'm going to produce fruit for God because that's my calling and as I continue in it, that's what he does through me. But is that what I want? I don't know. Right? He goes on to say, For I am hard-pressed between two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nonetheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So he's saying, I have every desire, literally, to be dead. I want to be with my Lord. But I know that there's work to be done and it is beneficial for you, right? For for the body, he's saying, for the Philippians, for, for the churches he's writing epistles to, for the people that are coming to him, um, for personal meetings, right? For the guards that he's witnessing to. He said it's beneficial for them. So Paul's life was not, his, his prison life wasn't some cakewalk, right? It wasn't some spa day, some day at the park. It, it, was, it was something that, that tore him apart. He says in First Corinthians that he actually there were times where he despised of life itself. He, you know, he he was under he had great depression, but he he trusted in the faithfulness of God, and in hard times, this is it's in hard times you see that the character, the true character of men come out, and a man who's in love with Jesus is going to produce fruit even in hard times, right? Chained to a to a guy in a a jail cell or not, 
I mean, there there are a couple kids in here, a couple, I should say, women in here that are children of Will Cass. But if you've ever been inside of a car, inside of a truck with Will Cass for three or four hours, you kind of it's it is the same deal. It, it is the you, you know I'm I've never been chained to Will Cass, but being that close to a person who's in love with Jesus, the things that roll off of their tongue, the things that they have to say, the profound theology, the understanding they have of the person of God is life-changing if you're willing to humble yourself and receive it. That's how Paul is touching people's lives, right? Even in chains, even though he knows where he wants to be, right? And I, and I've, I've, I've had deep conversations with with many um, brothers, I can't say sisters, but with my mom, but just about how, you know, this journey is sometimes just full of blessing, and other times it's so hard, right? But there's things to do, and the people that that exalt Christ in their life, that love Christ, that hold him in high esteem, those are the ones that you reap from. Paul, um, he goes on, uh, so he he talks about his labor for them, and then he exhorts them, and he tells them about how they've been um, exhorted at this time. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, verse 29, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Right, so he talks about, the example that they should set. He gives them the great example. In chapter 2, it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So he, t- he, he tells them, this is how we function, right, as Christians. Um, there's, it seems that in Philippi there's been division. He's saying this is how to reconcile division. He addresses a, a, an actual like case study later on in the book. But he says this is how we reconcile division. He talks earlier about the teachers who are working out of selfish ambition and envy, how they do things to be seen, right? He says, don't let that characterize your life. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Uh, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others, right? Take care of yourself, but be willing to be a servant. And then he gives us, guys, he gives us the theology of the Christmas story, right? He talks to us about who God is, who Jesus is, um, he says, let this mind be in you, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the name that God the Father has given Jesus Christ is Lord, right? It is, this is the infinite God, right? John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through him, all things were created and without him, nothing was created that was created and him was life. That life was the light of all men. That light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it. This is God. This is God come in the flesh, right? Isaiah 40, the one who spread out 92 billion light years of universe with the span of his hand, condescending to become a human baby, born of a poor virgin girl and laid in an animal's feeding trough. This is God. He came as a bond servant. He became obedient to the point of death, the death of the cross. He's saying this is the example, right? Paul sets this example, and he gives, I mean, he sets the standard. He talks, he speaks of the standard and gives the greatest example. And um, you got to, you just, I think about it all the time. It chokes me up about God, <laughs> about God. I just, guys, I can't comprehend it. I know none of you can either, and if you say you can, you're lying. But God becoming a man, right? The culture shock, for one. Like, what is that like? Because he gave up all divine prerogative, right? He came to, he gave up all of his rights. He gave up his throne. He gave up the worship, the worship of the angels, right? He gave up his independent um, authority. He bowed his whole life to the will of the Father. He had independent authority before condescending to become a man, right? And now he's subject in, in humility, guys. This is all because of humility. This is because of love and in humility, God comes as a man. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So the wording in there um, is pretty key, right? Initial, I'm going to address the first part. Therefore, my beloved, as you have, you have always obeyed, not only as in my presence, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He's He's talking about the obedience of the Christian, that is um, the integrity of the Christian, right? It's not just obedience when the boss is around. It's not just, you know, the foreman on the crew when he comes around putting your cell phone down and getting off Facebook or, or you know, where, um, and gosh, this is, I'm just being honest. This whole government shutdown thing is actually affecting my family quite, quite drastically, so I, I find myself going on, uh, like, binging every, like, two hours. What's going on with the government shutdown? And I feel like every time I bing it, one of my supervisors <laughs> walk around the corner. I'm, like, quickly closing the window and getting back to work. Um, and this, of course, this verse is convicting to me because um, 
not only are we supposed to be obedient in the presence of our of our supervisor of our you know of um the one that has authority over us but in 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 absence and um he goes on to say right so this is this is about recognizing that god is everywhere all the time recognizing god is our boss he's our father but it's it's who we work for it's who we represent and uh that's that is why we're obedient all the time it's why we have that integrity work out your own salvation with fear and trembling so this has to do with what god's already worked in you right the wording here isn't work for your salvation with fear and trembling this is work out your salvation it says for it is god who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure so paul has already started in the beginning of this book saying being confident of this very thing this letter that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He understands it began with God. He has worked something inside you. The Old Testament promised it the whole way through, right? The insufficiency of the law. Um, those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation for them who walk according to this, according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. It says, for what the law could not accomplish in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Right? God started that work. He's worked in you. He's given you a new heart. He's placed in you new desires. And that is to be worked out through obedience. That is to be worked out, not worked for do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And in the rest of chapter two, he's talking about um, uh, Aphrodite and Timothy, his fellow workers, his messengers, his laborers with him. He desires to send them to the Philippians. The Philippians um, and, and, and he said he'll, We'll see how that goes, essentially, right? Aphrodite is going to be the one to bring the letter to them. Um, he's the messenger for them. In chapter 3, we get a word of warning from Paul to the Philippians. He says, Finally, my, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of wor evil workers, beware of the mutilation. That is the circumcision. For we are the circumcision who worship God in, in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So Paul's warning about Judaizers, right? The ones that are trying to drag the new Christians away from grace and back into the law. And he's saying, and, and he goes on and he gives his credentials. He talks about how, look, guys, I was born a Jew. I was raised a Jew. I was trained as a Jew, right? And then in verse 7, what but what things were gained to me, these I have counted as lost for Christ. Right? And then he he's he continues by saying in 14, I press toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So it's it's not that he's not doing anything, right? It's not that he's not laboring for Christ, it's just that he's not returning to the law to be perfected. And he's saying, Don't let someone um try to lord over you and in, in insisting that. Your flesh must be perfected in order for you to perform for God. Because Paul is saying they're robbing you of the gospel of grace. The goal, right, and he, he talks, he speaks on this in, 
20 and 21, the goal is heaven. The goal is to be with our Lord Jesus. It is not to perfect this flesh. And he makes that point really well. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Right, So he's Lord over all things, and what he's going to do is he's going to transform us. And uh, Paul says in other places that there is some profit in physical exercise. right? But to, to think that we're going to attain righteousness, and of course I, I know you guys already know this, but the point he's making is to think that we're going to attain righteousness by perfecting the flesh, it, it doesn't make any sense because it's, it's passing away, and we need, we need that that remodel. We need that new model, right? From Jesus. We need that new, that new body that Jesus is going to transform. And uh, that is our goal is to be with our savior, to have that new body. And uh, chapter four, he talks about some more personal issues. So three he's just, um, he's warning them to stay away from, from legalists, right? He's warning them to stay away from Judaizers and uh, to keep their mind on, on heaven, on what Christ has done, on walking in grace. Chapter 4 says, Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Iodia and implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he mentions um, two women by name, and he's simply just saying, uh, have unity, be of one mind, right? Um, be reconciled to one another. Because what, Paul's what Paul wants us to recognize, what, what the Lord wants us to recognize, is that we're supposed to have unity and love for one another. The church is supposed to be the building, the body of believers. It's supposed to be a place that's a refuge from the clatter of the world. It's supposed to be a place where we can come uh, to people that we're like-minded with and, and that have love for us regardless of the fact that we're not like them, right? And um, it, it not based on any merit that we've conjured up in our flesh. He's saying peace within the body is what protects us from being polluted by the outside world, right? It also it protects us from um, Satan getting a foothold, causing division, causing causing church splits, right? He's talking about humility. He's talking about earlier in the book about service, about being the servant of one another, giving that example of Christ, and then he moves on to. Inward peace, right? Peace with God. Many of us probably know these verses. Um, many of, we might have them underlined in our in our Bibles. Verse four it says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
And that's such a beautiful promise, right? And there's probably a lot of us who think, yeah, that's really nice. That's really cute. That's pretty naive. That's pretty simplistic. Pretty unsophisticated. You know, um, the world says anxiety is undeniable. It's going to happen. There's no way you cannot have anxiety. The best thing to do with anxiety is to limit it and to manage it. Not to, not to dismiss it altogether because you're going to have it, but to make it a healthy and manageable part of your life. That's what the world says. I get anxiety just thinking about that. And that's not what I want, right? I think probably the most practiced sin in the church is anxiety. It is worrying, right? And if if we would treat this section as the command that it actually is, um, we would see how obedience leads to peace. Because what Paul is commanding us is to turn our worry into worship, right? To turn our anxiety into adoration, our groaning into gratitude. And uh, he gives us, he, there is a formula here. Um, I remember one time coming to Will about something absolutely horrendous that I read on on a news website. And um, and I'm trying to do, I don't know why. I, it's kind of weird. I read it like in the parking lot of Hannaford and I went in and I'm like literally walking in circles and I'm incoherent and I'm so angry. And, um, and I run into James and Will. And Will's like, is everything all right? And I'm just like, dude, this thing. And this was, this was a few years ago too little over two years ago. And he said, whatever things are lovely, meditate on these things. And I said, is it that simple? You know what I mean? Paul says, whatever things, um, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are lovely, right? Whatever things are pure, of good report. He said, if there is any virtue there's anything praiseworthy he said meditate on these things he says that's where it starts the battle starts in the mind anxiety guys it's it's like all of us have it to some degree or another right and then there are there there are those of us that have learned to deal with it properly and that is to give it to god jesus said um and it, i might butcher the the quote but you guys all know what i'm quoting um what worry, gosh, uh, it's in Matthew, Matthew chapter six, but essentially he's talking about worry. He says, has it added a stat, has it added a cubit to anybody's stature, right? Why would you worry about these things? Look at the lilies of the field. Solomon in all his glory wasn't appareled as, as one of these, right? And we know how rich, rich Solomon was. He's, he says, uh, behold the birds. Jesus says, look at the birds, right? Uh, God takes care of them. And there's other things that he says in the middle there. I just don't remember exactly what it is that he says. Um, he says, God feeds them. Your heavenly father takes care of them. He says, how much more is he, is he willing to take care of you? And um, so 
but that worry, that anxiety, that thing that plagues us, it, the, I, I think the statistic is almost 20% of American adults have some clinical, clinically diagnosed anxiety disorder. More than 40 million Americans have have such high anxiety. It's a it's considered a clinical case. Jesus is saying, "Be anxious for nothing." Right? Paul is saying, "Be anxious for nothing." He's saying, "Let it start with what thoughts you allow in your mind." That's really where it starts. Because Paul also says in the New Testament to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. What the New Testament is telling us is that we have the ability to control what thoughts run through our head. That's what Christ has done on the cross. Romans chapter 8 says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It says because the carnal mind is enmity against God, because it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He goes on, he says, but you are not in the flesh. He says, you are in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. How does the spirit of God dwell in us? Through faith in Christ and his completed work. The New Testament is telling us you do not have to surrender to anxious thoughts. Control what comes into your mind, right? I'm kind of working backwards through this, but what that's going to lead to is this peace. Because if there is obedience and, and what you're allowing your mind to meditate on. And of course, I'm not talking um, Eastern mystic, you know, zoning out. I'm talking about deep engagement. The, the scripture, I should say, is talking about deep mental engagement with these thoughts, right? What, what, is, what is true, right? What, what has God revealed to us as truth? And what's, what's so incredible about what's happening tomorrow is with this with this prophecy conference that's going on is they're talking about the things that are yet to come true. Why should we have any confidence in the things that are yet to come true that the, the stage is being set for? Because of the things that have already come true. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the seed that will come will bruise the head of the serpent. Right? Micah chapter 5 to God, it says, the one from everlasting will come to you, O Bethlehem. Right? Though you are small, the, the one from everlasting will come. It says Isaiah 9 6. We, we all know that verse. Um, wonderful counselor. Uh, to, us, uh, to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right? And then. We, we read of, I mean, just the things that were prophesied about the suffering servant. Guys, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The things that were prophesied, that were promised, and that were fulfilled. What's crazy about that is it's true. Okay, it's humbling and it's true. Meditate on whatever is true, whatever is noble. What could be more noble than the king of the universe laying, deciding what he's going to do and at all cost doing it, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross? I, I can't, it doesn't make any sense. Again, how many times am I going to say that? How many times are we going to think that? How long are we going to spend, I, I'm going to say an eternity, learning of his grace? But you guys already, 
was kind of a circular question because we're going to be in eternity learning this grace for eternity. But um, things are just. He is, he is just and justifier of the ungodly, right? Because of what he's done, whatever things are pure, his blood is pure. Whatever things are lovely are of good report. What better report is there than the gospel message? What better report than the fact that we have been um, declared righteous even though we're sinners, right? I shouldn't even say that. We're no longer sinners. We're declared righteous. We have sin that we still struggle with, but we're righteous in the sight of God, and he's given us power over that sin to walk in victory, right? The, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Paul says, I rejoice for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Um, virtuous, praiseworthy. I think of that song, uh, I could sing of your love forever, right? What is praiseworthy? How, how long is too long to sing of God's love? What kind of question is that? What, when, when could you ever stop praising God for what he's done? The things which you learned and received, verse 9, and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care but lacked opportunity. So what he's saying is from the beginning, you've had, you've had care for me, you've had concern, a desire to, to support me, you've, just, you've, been un, you've been unable to. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now we just need to learn to be content in the state of Maine. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? We can endure. There are situations. And we think of, we say cliche things. That, well, they're not really cliche. But they seem cliche to us when we say things like, God's going to give you the strength to get through the situation, right? And, and we think, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I think of um, the critics who want to say, yeah, well, you're an American Christian. Try being a Christian in, in Kenya or Ukraine or, or in the Middle East in, uh, in an Islamic country or something like that where, where God is die where, excuse me, God did die, but where people are dying for their faith, you know, where God isn't providing what they need. And yet you think Jesus said um, in his high priestly prayer, uh, I don't remember exactly what leads up to it, but in, in laying down his will and saying he's going to um, take up his cross, take up the cross, he's going to take the Father's cup. Right? He says, Father, glorify me with you like we were glorified before the world was. I don't, I don't know, and hopefully I never will, and I don't know how you'd find out. I don't know what special graces are given to a martyr for God's cause. Right? But I can only imagine, I can only imagine, guys, the strength, the there's got to be something supernatural God does for a man or woman who's laying down their literal life for the name of Jesus Christ. There's got to be, I just, I, 
I don't know what that is, you know. Hopefully I never have to know. But this is when I when I hear Paul say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is the one. It is Christ who gets us through our circumstance. It is, you know, and some people um some people want to say that that Christians think God is going to give them whatever they want. And that's obviously not what we teach. We teach that uh, it is more about the inward man that God is, is interested in. It's, it's more about changing the inward man and using um, what God has bought for us through Jesus' sacrifice in order to, to live a holy life for Christ. I just, I totally, I did not say that well, but you guys understand what I'm saying. Uh, 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I like that, that Paul's saying, you know what? And he actually goes on to say, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Aphrodite's the thing sent from you a sweet smelling aroma, right? He sees um, he sees the believers in sync with God enough that even in a difficult situation where it doesn't look like there's actually something uh, to be sponsoring, something to be financially giving to, that they're in sync with God enough to know that Paul needs their funding, and it it wasn't really so much the funding, the financial support that Paul was after. It was the heart of the people, and he loves that because he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. It's the money bags in heaven that thieves can't break in and, and steal and moths can't, can't destroy. Right? Paul's seeing that. He's seeing spiritual maturity in these Christians. And he's also rejoicing um, that, that now they're in, they're in tune I think I already said that they're in tune with God enough to know, you know, when when spiritual when uh, financial funding is needed. Um, he's just rejoicing for their maturity. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. The thing that speaks to me, of course, um, the loudest through this is just the, is to be anxious for nothing. But Paul's constant attitude of being more concerned for, for other Christians, right? Even in his hostile and his bad situations. When we look at something like that, I hope that it speaks to us in a way that makes us realize that this isn't normal. It's beyond normal. It's supernatural, right? It's something um, that is evidence of the rebirth, of the new birth. And it's it's something that it should speak to us loudly about the other things that Paul is commanding us. And I didn't um, I didn't dwell on it too long. I didn't dwell on too much at all really long, and I apologize for that. I uh, didn't have much time this afternoon, but the Lord is good, and I, and I do pray that in my closing remarks, we would really think about what Paul says 
about not being anxious for anything. Be anxious for nothing, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Because your mind is where it starts. Proverbs uh, chapter 4 says, guard your heart, for from it all, all your life flows. Um, Romans 6 says the carnal mind is is death to be carnally minded, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It is it is the heart and the mind. Um, and, and what's going on with... Uh, I'll just give a couple examples because we're a little early. But And what's going on with this government shutdown? It's actually... Um, it's it's caused Alexis and I not to be able to close on a house. And back in the middle of December, we gave our one-month notice, and our lease came to an end. Well, I shouldn't, he was gracious enough to let us out of the lease, but he'd already found a new tenant, so we had to get out of the, the apartment um, before the end of this month. And uh, we had no house to move into. And on top of that, other things are happening. <laughs> it's It's crazy. I um oh my gosh I could rant I'm not going to um, I apologize but the point is in this I am now at my mom's house and my little boy he's running around now and uh, I'm picking him up and he loves to be thrown in the air which is totally different from his sister she hates being thrown in the air but I picked him up last night and I threw him in the air and he's just the happiest little kid in the world. And I'm staring at his smiling face and I'm just like, you don't worry about a thing. And it, it, it dawned, it hit me right then. And they teach you a lot of lessons about God and his love. And he was saying, why are you worried about a thing? Do not be worried about a thing, right? The word in, uh, the word in the Greek, and of course you guys might not be too interested in it, but I'm going to tell you just because it's going to make real good sense of that word anxious, about that word sometimes translated worry or care. It comes from two words, meridzo, which literally means to tear or divide, and neos. Um, so the word as a whole is uh, marineo, and it comes from meridzo, which means to tear or divide, and neos, which is the mind. Right, and it, it's allowing thoughts um, to tear our mind, to divide our mind. James says, "A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways." Right, and and what what Paul is writing is, don't allow your mind to be torn by logical, by um, legitimate thoughts and and illogical thoughts, by by harmful thoughts. He's saying, focus on God, on his, um, on his faithfulness, on his trustworthiness, right? Meditate on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is of good report, right? He's saying, meditate on those things, whatever is, well, anything that is of virtue, praiseworthy, and What's praiseworthy about my little boy is he taught me a lesson about God and the fact that I'm his little boy, right? Um, somewhere else in the New Testament, it's 
it tells us to cast all of our, it's Peter, right? Cast all of our cares on God for he cares for us, right? It's that same word, Maranaho. And it's, it's that idea of um, casting off the things that we're dealing with because God wants us to rest in him, right? Like when you get home, and, and it's not saying don't do anything, but anyone uh, um, who carries a lunchbox or a backpack, I guess maybe this can, this will make sense to you. If it if it doesn't, then I apologize. But if you bring like a lunchbox to work or something, right? You're getting ready. You're getting prepared. You're going to work. But when you get home, you're not wearing the lunchbox all around the house with you. As soon as you get home, you're probably casting the thing off, right? You're relaxing. You're the thing that was helping you get the job done, you're now shedding until the next time you're called to engage in that job again. God's, God's saying, you know, be responsible, be efficient with your time, but cast your cares on me. When you're done dealing with the thing, be willing to let go and, and talk to God and pray to him. And of course, at the same time, Luke 11 says, this is how you should pray, Father in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You start with that praise. You start with recognizing who God is and then give us to stay our daily bread. Right? It's it, it really does help if the first thing you're doing is recognizing who God is before you just spew your garbage on him. Because a lot of the time, when we when we put it in perspective, we realize the things that we want to talk to God about really is just a bunch of garbage. It's a, why am I worried about this? But if we cast our cares, if we cast them off, we're responsible during the day. We're, we're called to be efficient, to be good stewards, but to cast our cares on Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I, uh, I pray you spoke something tonight, Lord, about, about your faithfulness. Lord, it's, it's not about what I said, Lord, and, and you know and um, I do thank you that I know these people and that they know me, Lord, that they know my heart. I pray that your heart was behind this message. I pray that we would be able to trust more in who you are and to meditate on those things, Lord. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, Lord, whatever is pure and lovely and of good report, I pray, Father God, that you would help us to transform our minds by thinking of the things that you're concerned with, not allowing the, the harmful thoughts to cause anxiety and depression. Lord, cause us to be different. I do pray that you would make this a refuge, Lord. I pray that if we have struggles inside of this body, we would reconcile Lord, that we would be humble as you are humble, who being in the form of God didn't consider a robbery to be equal, but yet you made yourself of a reputation. Lord, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men on our behalf in humility. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will be the thing that guides us because Whoever is led by the Spirit, as many as are led by the Spirit, those are the children of God, Lord, and we thank you for your Spirit. I pray that we uh, make it home safe. We come back together again as a family, Lord. Remind us all that this is family. 
We're bonded together in a spirit of love. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.